Please now open your Bibles uh, as we hear God speak to us through His Word. Our first reading will be from Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28b, all the way to the end of uh, chapter 3. Our second reading will be from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. So let's begin with our first reading from Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28b. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And it spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot stand, understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, moreover he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. 
Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib, who were dwelling by the Chiba Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his unrighteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you would have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Chiba Canal, and I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go. Shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you will be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Our second Bible reading is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Good morning, Esli Church, and welcome to our live stream. 
Uh, it's my pleasure to bring us God's Word uh, this morning from my office. And uh, hopefully, even though it's from the office, it's pre-recorded. It'll be a great encouragement to all of us. Over the last week, we began our sermon series in the book of Ezekiel, and we hit on a very big and massive vision of the glory of God. Today continues on from that scene. It picks up from where our last passage left off. Now, if you're new to our church, uh, you may have noticed that, yeah, we're going through the book of Ezekiel. We are committed as a church to what we call expositional preaching, expository preaching, gospel-centered expository preaching, which means that we take the Bible seriously, And we want to work through every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible and help us to work out and understand how it points us to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it encourages us to live for Jesus in this life. So please join me in praying as we embark on chapters 2 and 3 of Ezekiel. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word and thank you that you speak to us. And we again ask this morning that you would speak, O Lord, renew in us uh, our minds and our hearts to receive this word. Uh, Help us to engage with it, uh, even if it's a a word that seems strange, a word that is more remote and foreign to us. We pray that it will encourage us to cling to you, to hope in you, to trust in you, and to listen and hear and respond. And we ask, Father, you'd bless us in this In Jesus' most beautiful name. Amen. Try to imagine a life without timekeeping. You probably can't. You know the month, you know the year, the date, the day of the week. There is a clock on your wall, on your dashboard of your car. You have a schedule, a calendar, a time for dinner or movie. Yet all around you, all around us, timekeeping is ignored. Birds are not late. Dogs do not check their watches. The deer in the meadow does not fret over passing birthdays. Man alone measures time. Man alone chimes the hour. And because of this, man alone suffers a paralyzing fear unexperienced in the rest of the animal kingdom. The fear of time running out. I wonder if that fear of time running out has been placed within us by God himself Solomon in Ecclesiastes writes that God has placed eternity into the hearts of every man. We instinctively know that we were created for more than just this life. And perhaps we all know that time is not an endless commodity. We do not have endless time on our hands. At some point, we all know we will run out of time. This is exactly what's happening in our passage today. Time has run out for Israel. God's patience has finished. All they can expect now is judgment. At the end of last week, we met Ezekiel in exile. There he sees a massive and wondrous vision of God's glory. Uh, A passage picks up from where we left off. And that's important to know because God never sends a vision without explanation. Our chapters are the explanation for what we saw last week. In these opening chapters, we meet Ezekiel. We find out not, uh, not so much about him personally, But we find out about the particular job that God is giving him. The opening verses, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, set the scene uh, for his particular calling as a prophet. Chapter 2, verse 8 to chapter 3, verse 15, we'll see the overwhelming task that is put before Ezekiel. His ministry will be so difficult that it may be all too much for him. 
In chapter 3, verse 15 to 21, Ezekiel is reminded of the weighty responsibility he has to be faithful to his call. And then in the end, we'll see a strange, visually acted out prophecy involving Ezekiel in lockdown, bound up and muted. There's a lot happening in our passage, and a lot of it is very strange. So let's break it down piece by piece. We start in chapter 2, verse 1, with Ezekiel flat on his face. The glorious vision from chapter 1 has seen him face down on the floor in abject humility. Yet God speaks with him and stands him up on his feet. Notice now how Ezekiel is addressed in, by God in chapter 2, verse 1. He's called Son of Man. Now this phrase appears something like over 90 times within the book of Ezekiel, but it isn't an overly special phrase. It's not Daniel 7, son of man, that some of us may be familiar with. When God calls Ezekiel son of man, he's simply making a, a, he's rather sim- he's making a very simple point that Ezekiel is a human, the flesh and blood son of a man. It's also a constant reminder that God is distinct from Ezekiel. God is Yahweh, holy and righteous. This distinction between God and man will be made again and again throughout this entire book. Next, notice how Ezekiel is being sent, uh, who, who Ezekiel is being sent to in chapter 2, verse 3. We read, I send you to the people of Israel. Now, notice that God doesn't call them my people, but uses the very general phrase, the people of Israel. This is not a good sign. Notice again in chapter 2, verse 3, that they are next called a nation of rebels. They have rejected God, sinned against Him, and each generation shows their impudence and stubbornness. Seven times in our passage we read that they are a rebellious house. Chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 8, and then down to chapter 3, verse 9, and then twice more at the end in chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Seven times. They are called a rebellious house. And what has this rebellious house done? Well, it's hinted at in chapter 2, verse 5. They refuse to hear. They refuse to listen to God. They refuse to listen, and they are called a rebellious house, and they can only expect judgment. Now, that might sound a little bit harsh, a little bit over the top. Right, Because on first reading, it sounds like they actually might respond when you look at chapter 2, verse 5. There's a, there's a possibility that there's some, there may be some who will hear. But God's picture of Israel's hardened hearts, as we go through this passage, gives the very realistic picture of their state. See, from the time of the Exodus to Ezekiel, we've had roughly 800 years. And God's people have been stubborn and rebellious. As you read through the history, you'll see that it's a gradual slope downwards towards worse and worse behavior. God has been patient with his people more than humanly possible. And now that patience has run out. God will send Ezekiel to them for one express purpose, something that we heard from last week, and it is the title of the sermon series. God sends Ezekiel to this rebellious house so that they will know a prophet has been sent to them, so that they will know the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 5, God says that they will know a prophet has been among them. Then next in chapter 2, verse 6, God tells Ezekiel to not be afraid of the people. God says it four times, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of their words. Don't be afraid of their words. Don't be dismayed at their looks. Four references there to not being afraid. 
I think because Ezekiel may be afraid. Ezekiel, this is going to be a hard ministry, a tough one, but I do not want you to be afraid. You are going to sit down with thorns and scorpions as company. I'm going to throw you in the lion's den, so to speak, with one instruction. Don't be scared. How would you have reacted if you were given a job where everyone would hate you? You would not be, your, uh, no one would listen to a word that you said and your working conditions were a squalor and a cesspit of despair. I'm not sure many of us would take a job like that, even if we were long-term unemployed, let alone survive in a job like that for any length of time. Can you imagine if a pastor was given a church like that? Well, it's actually the world of Charles Simeon. Uh, that he, uh, uh, the, the world that Charles Simeon found himself in. In 1783, Simeon was appointed a, as a minister, an Anglican minister of a local church who did not want him. They wanted someone else. Simeon hadn't done anything wrong, and yet he began his ministry being reviled. Congregation members alienated him. They locked their pews so that Simeon was forced to place seats in the aisles of the church, and these seats were then thrown out into the street. It got so bad that he was eventually locked out of his own church building so that he could not conduct services or preach there. He then started, radically, an evening church, but the members hired a different pastor to preach at it. You'd think after all of this, after years of this kind of mistreatment, he would have given up. But he stayed there for 50 years. The endurance, of Simeon, the, endurance, the endurance of Simeon was extraordinary. And that same level of endurance and courage was needed by Ezekiel. Because the job ahead of him threatened to be overwhelming. Now, the passage starts to take a turn in chapter 2, verse 8 onwards. You see, in comparison to rebellious Israel who fails to listen, Ezekiel is to be the opposite. But you, son of man, hear what, you, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, the distinction again between Ezekiel and Israel is going to be clear in the way that he responds to God. Israel failed to hear. Ezekiel was to hear. Where Israel failed, rebelled against God, Israel was to listen and obey. No, sorry. Where Israel failed, rebelled against God, Ezekiel was to listen and obey. Now, the first mini test of this obedience comes in the form of a food challenge. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, if someone comes up to you on the street and says, I've got something for you to try, open your mouth and eat it. How many of us would respond with, sure thing? I wonder what Ezekiel was expecting at this point. So it turns out to be a scroll, not a Swiss scroll or a scroll pastry scroll. In Ezekiel verse 9, Ezekiel sees a hand stretched out with a scroll of a book. In verse 10, the scroll is unrolled and laid out before him. Ezekiel notices that it has writing on both the front and the back, which tells us that this scroll has a full and complete message. Now, what is written on that scroll? Something hard to swallow. Laments, words of lamentation, mourning and woe. These three words will describe and set the tone for Ezekiel's ministry. Now, I'm not sure I'd want to swallow those words, but Ezekiel is to obey. And so in chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, you'll notice a bit of repetition. He's told a few times to fill his stomach to eat, but also notice how eating and speaking are connected. Chapter 3, verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. 
eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Now, whether Ezekiel literally ate the scroll or not, I don't know, but it seems clear that the message in that scroll is to be received by Ezekiel and passed on to Israel. It's his form of obedience to God, contrasted obviously to Israel's constant disobedience. So Ezekiel grabs the scroll and he starts chomping away. And we read at the end of verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, that it's sweet to him, as sweet as honey. Now, how does a scroll with a message so dark taste so sweet? It must be because of the simple fact that this is God's divine word. Contact with this divine word is always sweet. Ezekiel's tough ministry is given a small reward to bless him with. Ezekiel will go on to do a lot of strange things, which which has caused a lot of commentators to wonder if he was actually mentally unstable. But it's clear here that Ezekiel is a man who is filled with, he is nourished by, and he is empowered by God's word. And so it's to Israel that he will go. And to add to our understanding of how difficult this is going to be, God tells Ezekiel a few more things about the difficulty of his task. First, he tells Ezekiel that he is being sent to Israel, not to some foreign nation. And the irony being that if Ezekiel was actually sent on cross-cultural mission, he would have had more success. People there would have listened to him, but he's not going international. He's staying locally. He's going to be speaking to the exiles. Staying locally would feel a lot easier, right? It'd be a lot easier work. If you had to choose between being a missionary in Brisbane versus being a missionary in Afghanistan, I think most of us would stay locally. It would be easier, right? Right? But for Ezekiel, it won't be. See, despite staying locally with his people and preaching to them, they will be thoroughly unresponsive. Why? But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you For they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Hard foreheads and stubborn hearts. That's a dark picture of a people who are unwilling to listen, unwilling to listen to Ezekiel because they are unwilling to listen to God. The phrase, not willing to listen to me, has this kind of echo back to the past, to the time of the Exodus, when God established his covenantal relationship with his people, where he said there in the book of Exodus, I will be your God and you will be my people. And part of that covenant will be to listen and obey to his words. But now the people were rejecting their God, stomping on his grace. And in the face of their hard words and stubborn hearts, God toughens up his messenger. Ezekiel is told in chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 9, that God will toughen up his forehead as well. Almost as though they're about ready to butt heads. But he's going to make his forehead as hard as emery. Now, emery was the hardest known substance in their time. It would be like making his forehead as hard as diamond. There's no small irony here, too, because as, uh, because as Ezekiel is toughened up for this job, the meaning of his name now comes full circle. The name Ezekiel means God hardens. And he's going to need this toughening up because, again, he's reminded at the end of verse 9 to not be afraid of the people. His job will be to speak the words that God gives him and to keep speaking, whether they hear or refuse. 
Now the passage moves on quickly again in, in chapter 3 verse 12 to 13. Ezekiel suddenly hears a massive noise. He describes it as a massive earthquake and then he hears, blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. And he sees that vision that we saw in chapter 1, the creatures and the wheels and another great earthquake. And though God, it's as though God's chariot has started up and is now heading off and the sound of it is, is ear splitting. It's just so loud. The Spirit then drops Ezekiel back to the Kebar Canal, uh, where he started all of this in chapter 1. And we read in chapter 3, verse 14, that he has a, a bitter spirit. Everything that he's seen, have, have a think about all that he's just been through. He's sitting there, depressed in exile. A frightening vision of the glory of God grabs his attention in chapter 1. And from this encounter with, the, with God, a voice calling him to be a prophet. Not just any prophet, a prophet to the people who will refuse to listen to anything he says. He is given a scroll filled with bad news to eat. His forehead is hardened. He hears the throne chariot taking off and he has, a constant, he has the constant pressure of God's hand upon him. He feels the weight of his role. It's little wonder that by the end of verse 15, we find Ezekiel in a crumpled mess, overwhelmed by everything, socially distanced, physically exhausted, and emotionally disturbed. I, I feel for Ezekiel here. The past few months for me personally, I've been struggling in smaller ways, much smaller compared to Ezekiel, but with that sense that the job is just so big, that there's so much to do. And worse for Ezekiel, that it ha he has an impossible audience. He end up sitting there. He, so he ends up sitting there doing nothing because it's just too much. The task before him is overwhelming. The Olympics are upon us. And in shocking news this past week, one of the gold medal favorites in gymnastics, Simone Biles, pulled out, citing mental health concerns. Some of the commentary and media coverage on Biles has been, well, vile. Changing, charging her with quitting on her team and costing the US gold medals. Representing your country is a weighty responsibility. Representing your country at the stage of the Olympics is a massive and weighty responsibility. But let's keep some perspective here. The responsibility of Ezekiel to preach God's message is even weightier. Seven days go by. Seven long days of Ezekiel sitting there in silence, consumed by all he has to do and feeling overwhelmed and slumping into a heap. Seven days later, in chapter 3, verse 15 to 21, God speaks again. But this is not a, a G-up. This is not a, an inspiring speech to send his troop off into battle. It's a brutally direct warning to not shirk his responsibility. God starts in chapter 3, verse 17, reminding Ezekiel that he has been made a watchman. Now, the watchman stands on guard on duty, keeping his eyes on the horizon for the coming enemy. He spots the enemy and he warns the people. Who is the enemy of the people of Israel? They, they need to be warned about? It's none other than God himself. God is coming with his judgment and they need to be warned. God then gives Ezekiel a warning about his job. If he fails to preach what God has told him to, then God will not only punish the wicked and the unrepentant, but he will also hold Ezekiel responsible and accountable for their failure. So this is a, a brutal warning. And it's a tough reminder that Ezekiel is not being called to success, but to faithfulness. Sitting there for seven days is not being faithful. He may have been overwhelmed, but there's a sense too that he's actually maybe chosen to identify with the exiles. But God says, no, you are my prophet. 
You will speak my words and you will go to them and be faithful with my task. Your role, his role, is not to save souls. That is God's job and that is God's domain. His role is to faithfully proclaim the messages he receives from God. Success is not the measure of effectiveness in ministry. Faithfulness to God and his word is. Now here is where the story again takes another twist and turn. So let's recap very quickly before we move on to this last section. Ezekiel is with the exiles. He receives a massive awe-inspiring and fear-inducing vision of God's glory. He gets called to be a prophet and it's a hard ministry he's being appointed to. He's being toughened up by God to face it. And then when it becomes all too much, he's overwhelmed. He gets a stiff warning not to neglect or shirk his responsibilities. And then he's told to go. And then we read in verse 22 and 23, of chapter 3. Go. Okay. Familiar ground. Uh, Verse 22. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, arise, go out into the valley and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Kebar Canal. And I fell on my face. Okay, so, so far, so good. Ezekiel is up and going. He meets again with the glory of God and he falls on his face. It's now the third time he falls on his face after seeing the glory of God. And it's just, that's just what happens. It's, it's, he never becomes familiar with it. But then notice what he's told next uh, in, in verse 24. But the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And he spoke with me and said to me, go, shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. Now, there are three things are going to happen to Ezekiel here. Number one, he is locked away in his house. He's in lockdown. Number two, he's bound by cords so that he cannot get out. And number three, he's muted so that he's unable to speak. Now, that's really strange. Ezekiel has just been warned to go, get up and don't forsake your responsibility. And now he's being locked away with his mouth shut. What's going on here? This here... I think appears to be a visual prophecy. Ezekiel will actually go through a lot of these within the book. And and here we're introduced to one as well. A visual prophecy is a a kind of like a a prophecy, but not just with words. It's with these visual elements. You know, your preachers, Ben and I, you're used to us using uh, graphs and pictures to display up on the screens to make our points. Well, without a PowerPoint, without a TV, God has to use the man himself as the display. And so what we have here is the display, the visual prophecy that's going to happen. Each of the each element of what happens to Ezekiel represents something that's going to happen or something that's going on. So the key to understanding all of this though is to see what God says there in verse 27 right at the end. There God says, "But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, who, he who will hear, let him hear, and he who refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Ezekiel will be able to speak, but only will he will only speak when God opens his mouth. His muting will not remain forever. I think by chapter 33, the fall of Jerusalem, his speaking is uh, released. 
but until that point, he is being put, uh, he is being restrained. So it, it seems that Ezekiel, he isn't uh, just simply being put into a straitjacket to just restrict his movements without reason. Uh, let's look at each element of, of what happens to Ezekiel and work out what's going on. The first element is that one, he will go into lockdown. He will be bound and locked in his house. Now this feels familiar, doesn't it? See, we're all in lockdown at the moment and none of us can leave our homes. And there will only be specific reasons why you can leave your home. So if, if someone sees me out and about, then it should be only for a few reasons. Like I'm buying groceries or essential items. I'm doing some exercise. I'm seeking healthcare or heading out for essential work. I'm also maybe allowed to visit someone who is very vulnerable. Ezekiel will only be allowed out of his house when he is prophesying. So when you saw Ezekiel out and about, you know something serious was about to be said. Second, the same thing goes with his binding. Who is binding Ezekiel? We're not exactly sure. He's not doing it himself, that's for sure. But the point is that he will be physically restricted from being among his people so that when you did see him out and about, you did know to pay attention that something was up. Third, he will be muted. His tongue will cling to the roof of his mouth. It's a visual picture there of someone who just cannot get any words out. But notice in verse 26, the so that, right, linking word phrase there, so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them. Now, the idea there is that Ezekiel will be unable to go out and about telling people off however he wants. Only when God speaks will Ezekiel utter any words. So you knew that when Ezekiel spoke, he was not saying something of his own accord. He wasn't speaking for himself. He was going to be God's mouthpiece. And the only words that came from his mouth would be the very words of God. This commissioning by, by Ezekiel, of Ezekiel is, is utterly unique, even among the prophets. These opening chapters set the tone for what is to come. Ezekiel will go through some really weird and odd things in the coming chapters. And God is going to use this man to preach his message and visually show what is going on. Now, in these opening chapters, the reader is put on notice. Ezekiel has been commissioned by God uniquely. He has been sent to a rebellious Israel. Israel. Ezekiel will speak, but they will not listen. Their stubbornness and rebelliousness will be clear for all to see. The purpose of these chapters is to show us is that Israel's time is up, that their chances to hear God speak and repent are now coming to an end. God's patience has run out. So a prophet of doom will be sent to them and they have no one to blame but themselves. As the reader, we should be shuddering. God's patience is finished. Yes, God's mercy is infinite. There, there is nothing he cannot and will not forgive for those who repent. Yes, God's grace is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Yes, God's love stretches far, as far as the east is separated from the west. But God's patience has a time limit. The taps of mercy of grace of second and third chances are now being turned off. Now, we don't live in the same historical time of Ezekiel anymore, and I'm quite thankful for that. I do love electricity and hot running water, but we do live with the same time warning. Now, the temple is gone, the sacrifices are not needed, but Jesus has come 
and he will return one day to judge the world. And in that time before Jesus returns, God is being patient. And so we're told by the Apostle Peter, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter makes three very brief points for us here. First, he says that God's time frame is not our time frame. Time works very differently for God. Second, in the time that we have before Jesus returns, we should repent. Third, the day when Jesus returns will be sudden and unexpected, like a thief who breaks in and robs you unannounced. And so, with all of that in mind, do not delay. Do not put off repentance. Do not turn to the Lord and seek forgiveness. God is patient, yes, but not eternally so. Do not test that patience. Friends, I know that there are some who are watching us this morning who are not believers, or maybe you're not sure if you're a believer. Maybe you're someone who grew up in church, you've just accepted these things all your life. But if I asked you if you're really a believer, what would you say? If you're not sure, then listen up. Firstly, let me say welcome. <laughs> I'm glad that you're with us. I'm, I hope that your time with our church, in the time with our church, you'll find a warm and welcoming community among us. Maybe some of you are already are here because you're curious about the faith. Uh, maybe some of you are listening in because you got dragged along by your family or your friends. Now, whichever way you've come today, there's an important message for you to hear this morning. The message is this. Don't put off repentance. Don't delay. Repentance is the act of recognizing that you rebelled against God, that you've thought and acted in ways that are offensive to God, that your heart is hard and stubborn and has not listened to God, recognizing that you have rejected God and wanted to live your own way. Repentance is recognizing this and turning away from it, turning away from living for yourself and turning your back, to, and turning, uh, your back on God, and then you turn to face God. You turn back to the one you have rejected for so long. You turn to him by trusting Jesus, seeing what he's done for you on the cross, how Jesus has died in your place, forgiven your sins, and reconciled you to God. Repentance and faith are the dual acts of turning away from your sin and turning to God as King and Savior. The message you need to hear this morning is this. Don't put that off. Don't delay it. Cold hard truth time. None of us know how long we have left. One accident, one mistake, that's all it takes for our lives to be cut short. Ignore it all you want. That's the cold hard truth. And another truth is that no one knows when Jesus will return. That moment when the patience of God will run out again for this world, when the trumpet sounds and the sky cracks open, there'll be no more chances to repent. But here's the warm truth. 
God is loving and kind. He is gracious and merciful. It doesn't matter what you've done. There isn't anything that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, cannot forgive if you just simply ask. It doesn't matter how bad you feel like you are. There is more grace. And it doesn't matter how good or religious you are either. A good person who doesn't think they need to repent is an offensive stench to God as well. Don't delay. Find out more about Jesus now. Turn and trust him as the only one who can forgive and reconcile you to God. Because there is hope. I mean, the book of Ezekiel may contain some of the most hard-hitting words about judgment, but it will also contain some of the most glorious words of hope. And even in our passage, and even in the passages in the weeks to come, as we look at these heavy words of judgment, there will be glimmers of hope. And there is a hope here in our passage, and the hope is that some will repent, that some will hear and respond. You have a look again at chapter 3, verse 21, when, when Ezekiel is being warned. He, he, he says, Warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin. He shall surely live because he took the warning. That person is righteous, not because they were a good person who listened. They are righteous because they listened and repented. Now that phrase, that those who will hear, let them hear, keeps coming up in this passage. He will hear, let him hear. These words, those words, they reverberate through the teaching ministry of Jesus. And it's actually Jesus through whom we have this same hope. Jesus constantly was teaching in different ways. And he constantly asked people that those who would have ears to hear, let him hear. For it's in listening to Jesus every day until he returns that we can find our hope of repentance and restoration. The righteous shall live by faith. And the righteous will live because they have heard the warnings of Jesus and responded. And so, friends, for all of us, let us be good listeners. For there is no hope of salvation found in listening to anyone else. As we will journey through the rest of the book of Ezekiel, may that be our encouragement as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we've uh, begun this series, as we've opened up Ezekiel, as we've seen this introduction to this prophet, we pray that you'd give us our ears to hear. Help us to see how uh, unique and challenging Ezekiel's ministry was. Help us to recognize our need to repent. Help us, those among us who have yet to repent, who have yet to put our trust and faith in Jesus, to not delay, to turn to him now. And for all of us, we pray that you'd help us to listen to Jesus and to keep listening and obeying his word until the day that he returns. Help us to do this for your glory and our joy, we pray through Jesus. Amen.